Good morning. It is lovely to be with you this morning. Um, summer is coming. I can already feel the heat even in, in the studio where we're recording our preachers from. And can you believe it? Next Sunday, we're going to be gathering in person. And I'm sure many of you can't wait. And so we're excited. We've got a new venue in Beacon Bay. We've got a gathering. We've got some restrictions. But we've got the big thing is that we're going to gather in person and be together again. This morning, I'll continue our, our journey through Luke. And wow, has Luke served us so well as a church. And um, even in this context, we found the relevancy of the gospel in our, in our day and age. Who would have thought that in COVID, in 2020, in a season like this, that the gospel would still be the main source that edifies and feeds and nourishes our souls and our spirits. And we're going to continue with that this morning. This morning is an interesting one. It's Jesus an encounter with a centurion. Um, he's just come from the mountain. He's, did, he's done what Matthew calls the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is, is confronted by servants of a centurion asking for um, a, a deathly ill servant to come and for Jesus to come and heal. Um, and so what we're going to do this morning is I thought it would be, be great just to read the story slowly and maybe just pause along the way and look at just how this encounter unfolds step by step. There's so many beautiful nuggets here. It's always tempting to, when we go to the gospel, try and look for formulas. How did the centurion get Jesus to respond? Or, um, or why did Jesus respond to the centurion, but he wouldn't respond to some of the religious leaders of the day? And I want to ask us to maybe um, 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 fight that temptation to look for the formula. Remember, for us as Christ followers, Jesus is the reason why he answers prayers. Because he's so gracious, because he's so loving, it's because of him. It's got very little to do with a We've jumped through all the right hoops, whether he answers our prayers or not. Um, but let's look at this. I don't want to give everything away in the beginning, but let's go. Let's pray first. We're going to tuck into God's word. We're going to slowly read together. And we're going to, as I said, highlight some of the, the highlights. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for for your the encounters that Luke recorded on for for an unsafe friend to 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 hear about Jesus and to tell him about Jesus and how we get to benefit Father Gospel, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you sharpen up um, the Word of God? Would you make it relevant to our lives? Would you bring life to this Word um, this morning, to our souls? Would you nourish and feed us in a beautiful way this morning? In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so let's start. So, just as, remember, Jesus coming down from the mountain, um, and he's entering Capernaum. Luke 7, verse 1. After he had finished, all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. It tells us something here about the centurion, that he had a servant that worked for him. And in those days, class and slave and servant, etc. was a big deal. Um, and, and servants and slaves had very, very little value. But yet this centurion, it says here, highly valued him. It was, he was dear to him. He, he was precious to the centurion. It tells us something about the heart of the centurion. He valued his servant, which in those days was quite easy to replace. You'd pop down to a local spa or a slave market and replace your servant with another one. But for this centurion, there was a, there was a difference. He, he was different to the, to the others. Um, he had comp compassion for the least in his household. Um, in those days, servants, like I said, was were disposable. If you didn't do or or respond well or um, follow through on the master's orders, you would just replace. Either get killed, fed to lions, or replaced. But for this centurion, he had a different value system in his heart already, um, valuing the least of the household in him. When this centurion heard about Jesus, and I'm going to stop there again, when he heard about Jesus, 
People often, people were speaking about Jesus, about his teachings, about his miracles, what he was doing. The, the word got out about how incredible Jesus was. I um, mean, everybody, even without internet, without Facebook and Twitter, and without, without um, landlines, etc., or mobile phones, people spoke. The word got out that Jesus was amazing. I mean, this centurion heard about it. Uh, we often hear things in church when you talk, people say, share the gospel if needs be, use words. Um, there's no real truth in that quote. Um, we have to speak about Jesus. And, I, and when I read that, and, and a little thing about, hey, people heard about Jesus, I was wondering in our day and age, if we haven't lost some of that, let's brag about Jesus. Let's tell the world about how amazing Jesus is. Um, let's, I remember when we were younger Christians and I was a teenager and I got saved, the, the buzz of becoming a Christ follower, the buzz of Jesus. My, my mind was blown by this amazing Jesus and I couldn't stop telling my friends everywhere. I'm sure some of them thought I was weird about this Jesus. Didn't, uh, we all heard in Sunday school, but when he became a personal savior of, of myself and he, and, he, and he saved me, all of a sudden the buzz was so I couldn't stop talking about him. And when I read that, I thought, hey, I wonder if in our modern Christianity, with, with everything going on around us, if we've lost some of that buzz about Jesus, the, hey, let's tell people about how incredible Jesus is. I was, I, I was challenged personally. Like, hey, is Jesus still incredible to me? Is, is he still someone worth bragging about? And am I telling my mates how incredible, how gracious, how, how beautiful this Jesus is that, that, that loved us while we were still his sinners? And if I'm honest, and if I think if we all reflect inwards a bit, um, maybe some of that, that buzz and some of that shine, not that Jesus has diminished, but in our hearts, our hearts have wandered, maybe, and we're speaking a little bit less of our amazing this Jesus. And maybe I want to challenge you this morning, maybe just take a minute during the preach, even press pause and go, hey, Jesus, I want to re regain that, that first buzz, that first love, the excitement. Jesus, again, help me. Holy Spirit, show me again the amazement of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus. Let's read, read further. He sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come to, to heal his servants. Verse 4. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. He, he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us the synagogue. So you could see there quickly, you, you realize that the Jews were, were, were batting, or they were, they, were, they were arguing for the centurion, saying, Hey, Jesus, this is worth, if anybody's worth healing and, and obeying and helping he's the guy he did he helped the jews he was a friend of the jews he was friendly towards the jews he was easy on taxes he was building them a synagogue etc um he was no threat to them he treated the jews well and so the jews were in their in their calculations in their in their in their measuring was saying this is a good guy this jesus he's a good case you he deserves your grace etc i mean he was generous towards them note that that not the centurion, did not even mention, it wasn't the centurion that came to Jesus saying, this is who I am. It was the Jews, it was the servants that came to, almost batting for him, or we say batting for, we mean um, representing him or, or, or arguing for his case. Um, the centurion didn't do that. He just said, hey, I know Jesus is there, go and, go and ask him to come or just send the word for my servant to be healed. And it's interesting that the religious um, heart of the pharisees in this in this case the first thing the thing that they think is going to convince jesus to respond to the centurion's need 
is they tell him, hey, he's good to the church or he's good to the synagogue. He built synagogues. He's good to the religious community. He deserves you to answer this prayer. I don't even have to elaborate on that because if you've been listening and you know Jesus, you know that's not the thing that grabs his attention. Verse 6, And Jesus went with them. And he was not far from the house. So Jesus approaching the house and the centurion um, sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you come under my roof. This is amazing. He sends for Jesus and as Jesus approaches his house, he's saying, hey, Jesus, whoa, 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 I'm not worthy of this. And it's interesting because it contrasts to what just happened. So what just happened was, like I said, the, the Pharisees batting and saying, hey, this is why he deserves. But the centurion, as Jesus approaches, says, I have... No matter what I've done, I don't deserve you near my, or even to come under my roof. We see, we, we see this, um, he, he wasn't presumptuous. He, he was a centurion. He was a man of authority in the region, but he didn't presume or assume that Jesus, that would, Jesus would enter his house. There was no presumption in his heart whatsoever. I think presumption is a terrible trait to have as a person in relationships, but particularly towards Jesus. When we presumptuous, when we when we demand of Christ, when we demand of God, and um, we're living in a very um, very strong humanistic culture where where human rights and our our entitlement as human beings is at an all time high in society. I would argue for that, where where we almost hold God to account, where we demand or we are presumptuous in our. In, and I think some of that's leaked into the church. It, it can leak into our hearts where we, we presume, we, we, we assume that God has to do this. We, we deserve God to answer our prayers. We, we almost in some ways um, are shocked that God would not answer our prayers and we don't enjoy that. And we get angry at those, those things. But presumption and arrogance is very different to confidence. Hebrews calls us to enter God's course with confidence. But it doesn't say... Enter so arrogantly or presumptuously. No, no, no. Confidence. Like a child enters a father's, a father's arms or embrace. There's confidence. This is my father. I love him. He loves me. But like I say, sadly in our generation, presumption is strong. And it's not, if you're not a Christ follower, I'm sure that you've, you've bumped into people that, that, that claim to love Jesus and love Jesus that, that, that walk around with a bit of presumption towards God in their lives. Maybe you, if you're not a Christ follower, you have a bit of that in you going, hey God, I, I demand that you be this kind of God. And in some ways we, we try to shape God by the things that we presume he should be doing for us or who he should be. But we see none of that in the centurion. We see an incredible humility, an incredible um, appreciation for who Jesus is. He's the son of God. This man's got authority. The centurion saw Jesus' authority, saw him as, as not, not worthy of having Jesus in his, under his roof. He, he had an incredible, um, I would, we wouldn't call it worship, but there was a bowing and an acknowledgement of Jesus and how incredible he is. I pray that for you and for me, we live our lives with, with that, with that humility, that we, we, have, we had nothing in us that was worth saving. Jesus is our everything. It is on His grace, it's on His mercy that we enjoy salvation, that we enjoy anything that God gives to us. Verse 8, we continue. For I too am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to, the, say to one, go, and he goes, another one, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. 
He's explaining to Jesus, I understand how you operate. I know that you're a man of authority. Jesus, you have authority. And we're going to read about Jesus' authority over nature, over illness, over, over demons, over the spiritual. Every area, every dynamic in our lives, Jesus has authority. And this, and this centurion, even, and we don't have any reason to believe that he's a Christ follower, or that he's followed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He sees the authority of Jesus. How much more should we as Christ followers not hold on to that authority over illness, over, over death, over nature, over, over politicians, over, over thieving or finances? Jesus reigns supremely over all. He sits on the throne over all those. None of those are in charge. He is in charge. And then centurion saw that. And in verse 9 and 10. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Jesus was, was almost shocked. He was, this is unusual. This is not the normal kind of faith. This is marvelous faith. <laughs> marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that was following him. Who was following him? There were some Romans. There were some Gentiles. There were many Jews that were watching Jesus. How is he going to respond to this heathen centurion? I hope Jesus is going to do our friend a favor. This friend that's good to us Jews, I hope Jesus answers his prayer. Like He's done well for us. Jesus, please don't blow this opportunity. We need, he's an asset to our religious organization. I'd love to write scripts to these things sometimes. Followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Who is he referring to? Israel. He's referring to the Pharisees, to the Jews of the day. He's saying, not even the, in, the, in my people, who, who are meant to be my people, who are paving the way for me, have I found faith like I found in this centurion. And we're going to look at that just now. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Jesus healed the servant. It was a beautiful story. And I just, when I read this, this story, this encounter that Jesus had with the centurion, you have Jesus, you have the centurion sending for help. That's not a Christ follower. You've got the Jews that represent the religious community of the day that was meant to welcome Jesus. And yet you see Jesus here saying, I marvel not at the religious community. I marvel at this, this heathen who understands my authority, sees my authority, and whose heart is, is humble towards me, is not presumptuous in his asking of me. And so I thought what I would do just to end our time together is to look at the, the different faiths that we find, the, the centurion's faith and then the Jewish or the religious folk of the day, the Israel's faith of the day that Jesus was encountering. And as you read the Gospels, you, you see this encounter over and over and over where Jesus confronts the religious heart and, and Jesus shows mercy to, to, the, to the lost. This is the, the first thing is, the, the centurion had an incredible heart for the least of them, for, for his servant, who he could easily replace. Um, and he had a heart for others, where, it, where the religious, all they were concerned with was for the, they were protecting their own interests. They were concerned that this is a friend of ours who builds our synagogues, who's easy on tax with us, who is kind to us, who allows us to worship as Jews amongst the Roman Empire. Jesus, don't mess us up. Their request to Jesus was completely self selfish. It was completely for their own benefit. The centurion's request to Jesus was not inwardly curved. It was outwardly curved. It was for, yes, he loved his, his servant. Yes, it was a precious servant. But he was, 
deeply moved because his servant's life was under threat with illness. And he begged for another's life. What an incredible picture for us. I think we, we often speak as a church around the Jesus help our curve move outwards. Break up inward curve to a curve towards others. Outwardly curve towards you ultimately but to our fellow human beings. Let it not be about how I feel, what I'm going to gain from this or what's in it for me. No, how, how can I love others? How can I serve others? How can I, how can I use my faith? And, and, and how can I get Jesus to love my friends who don't know them? The second big one is just the humility of the centurion. Like I said earlier, the, 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 Jesus, you're not worth, you, you can't come into my home. My house is not worthy of your presence. This incredible, incredible humility. Yet we, we contrast that with the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And if you read the gospel, you actually, like we almost have said, Lord, forgive us for, for disliking the Pharisees so much. But the only reason we dislike the Pharisees so, so vehemently in our hearts is because we've experienced grace. And we understand that the grace of God is what saves us, not our religious works. And because the Pharisees reveal something in our own hearts, they actually reveal, and when we see the Pharisee, when we look, it's almost, in some ways we look into the mirror. We, the Pharisees reveal that, hey, we're a bit like that. I'm like the older brother and the younger brother, the, the, the prodigal son. I'm like the older brother. There's a bit of that in me. There's a bit of Pharisee in all of us. There's, this, there's a bit of self-righteous religious um, um, belief and and, and measuring our lives towards, hey, we deserve a bit of kindness from God in us. And the Pharisees prided themselves in their religious achievements. We wash our hands before we eat. We don't eat with certain people. We only eat certain foods. We only go to certain places. Yet the centurion says, no, Jesus, why would you come under my roof? There's a sincere humility there. The third thing we learn from the, the centurion and the encounter and I'm, I'm trying to guess at some of the, the things that could have impressed Jesus. That he wasn't presumptuous. He knew that Jesus could have said no. He knew that Jesus didn't have to do this. He knew that he had no authority over Jesus. He didn't command Jesus, come and heal me. He, he, he begged, he pleaded for, from Jesus. Yet we see with religious hearts a presumptuous. I've done my deal. Jesus, you have to. God, I've given my money to the church. Surely we, we should be okay financially. God, um, you love us. We go to church. We, we go to life group. And, and yet I can't get healed. I, I'm still struggling with my illness. God, I'm doing... We, 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 can you see how that creeps into our thinking around the gospel? Around how we, how we presume stuff that we just assume because we do certain things. And our confidence is in our, our religious achievements or our good life, our clean living. And how that spills over into the way we live and the way we walk through in our relationship with God. And the Pharisees, obviously, we see this presumptuous. We'll tell Jesus how to do this. We'll tell Jesus what he can and can't do in the Sabbath. We'll tell Jesus who he can heal, who he shouldn't heal. We'll tell Jesus this guy is worth healing. This guy is not worth healing. The fourth thing is we see the centurion with a radical and clear understanding of Jesus' authority. Like I said earlier, he understood Jesus' authority was over, over finances, was over politicians, was over doctors, was over the weather guys. Jesus reigned over all. And he knew that he was under the authority of Jesus. Where we see the religious leaders of the day thought they were the authority. 
so much so that they, they even try to, to impose their authority upon Jesus and who could be saved, who was welcome into Israel and who would not be. And the last thing I loved about this story is that the centurion saw himself as a vehicle for God's grace to move through. He said, God, I'm asking you on behalf of my servant. This is not about me. Will you use me? Will you, will you, will you, will you do me? Will you show grace to me and heal my servant? And I love that about this story, how the centurion does everything he can. He goes to his Jewish friends. He, he pulls every card out of the hat that he can and go, Jesus, would you please help my servant, heal my servant that is dear to me? I love that picture of, of us doing everything we can, using everything we can on behalf and for the benefit of someone else, that we would be conduits of God's grace and mercy towards others. Like the centurion was a conduit. God used him as a conduit or like um, a host pipe, like water in the one side, water out the outside. The host pipe is the only job of the host pipe is to get water from the tap to the garden. We, as Christ followers, are often used by God as, as host pipes. The life of Christ that flows in us flows towards our neighbors and our friends and those around us. And I pray that we would have that. We, for the Pharisees, it was all about them. I don't know, we, we often, we have, our host pipes have kinks in it sometimes. And once the kinks or bends, you can't get water out the other side. And religion does that to our hearts. We, Self-righteousness does that to our hearts. It kinks the pipe. And instead of our lives flowing towards others and blessing others and being a joy to others and not judging others and just backing others and showing mercy and grace to others, our hearts start saying, hey, hey, I deserve a bit of this. I deserve, why would you deserve that? This is for me. And we hold on to that. There's many things that challenge us here. And I'm going to encourage you this morning. Let's have the faith um, like the centurion. Let's, let's have the attitude of the centurion. And rather not the attitude of the Pharisees or the religious leaders of the day. Let's, let's, let's have grace and mercy. Let's go to Jesus with humility. Let's go not presuming, not assum making assumptions of what God has to do. God doesn't have to do anything. Everything he does is because of mercy and grace. Even, even this, this is not, Jesus didn't heal the centurion because he, he ticked four boxes in how to pray. Jesus did it because he showed mercy and he wanted to show grace to the centurion who didn't know him. I want to pray for us this morning as we, as we reflect on some of these things. Jesus, thank you that you are and always will, will be for us the, the hero of our faith. We're never the hero of our own faith. Thank you. Lord, help us when we're presumptuous. Help us when we are entitled in the way we pray and we ask of you. Jesus, would you help us um, grow in our humility towards you and towards others? Lord, would you use us to bless to bless others, Lord Jesus? Would you, Lord, would we be used by you for others? Would it not be about us? Jesus, would you, would you come in your authority and bring healing to, to folk that are really struggling with illness right now. Father, would you bring, we ask of you, we beg for our friends who, who maybe have lost faith in certain areas, that we want to pray for them. Would you bring healing? Would you bring jobs to those in this time that are desperate for employment and want to be useful in your economy and the economy? Lord, would you just, would you bring grace and faith to us that we could trust you more? We thank you for this beautiful gospel of Luke. We 
We are excited about gathering again as a church next week. And I pray, Lord, that we would have grace for all of us in the, in the, in the mix. Those who are confident to get together, those who, are, those who are a little bit more reluctant, I pray that you would give us grace for each other as a church. Um, and pray that you would use our gatherings again to start showing us again why the gathering of your people are so important. The, the, the benefit, not just to us, but to your city of a church gathered that worships, that breaks bread together, that sings before you, that sits under the preached word. Thank you for your grace over this season to us as a church. But we pray that you and we have confidence in, in your grace extending to us over the next season in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Um, you need to know that for C&I over this season, um, preaching to a camera maybe hasn't been the easiest thing. But boy, have we, have we understood that this is the way that we love and we shepherd you guys. And I can't wait to gather next Sunday. Let's be praying. Uh, Beacon Bay, just keep your ears open. We're going to need some hands on deck to get the venue ready, but we'll let you guys know. Bless you. Have a fantastic week further.